If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. What is up, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast? I welcome you to episode 33 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week, we will be recapping the UFC event that went down in Russia last week, and we will be previewing the UFC event going down in Sao Paulo, Brazil, this Saturday, September 22nd, 2018. We will also be discussing the John Jones USADA case, and I believe that we have to start off the program talking about this uh, this news story that has broken in the past 24 hours. I'm recording this Thursday the 20th, and the story officially broke last night around, uh, I would say, 5 or 6 p.m. It was first reported by Ariel Helwani saying that there are there is uh, a strong speculation that a USADA announcement is, is very imminent or his words and he's saying that it could be announced you know by the end of the by the end of the day it could be announced that john jones could return by the end of the year you know a lot of a lot of people thought that this this was some, uh, a fantasy that that we've been dreaming about and uh, unfortunately we thought it was never going to come about with their ufc 230 goes down at madison square garden in new york uh on November 3rd, 2018, and there is still no official main event announced. It's very rare for the UFC to leave this short, a uh, uh, very short amount of time between an, an event and uh, when the main event is not announced, especially when it's in Madison Square Garden, a huge event uh, for the, you know, the whole entire rest of the card is announced. There's already a ton of great fights on it. It just needs that one finishing touch of a main event. And we've been lacking it. Uh, you know, there's been speculation of whether it's going to be Tyron Woodley versus Colby Covington or um, Valentina Shevchenko versus Ioana Janjajek or possibly TJ Dillashaw versus Henry Cejudo in a, uh, in a title fight um, between uh, the two champions at 125 and 135. That's all speculation because now... There, there's, a, there's a whole new contender in play, and that is John Jones, and I'll explain how shortly. So John Jones tested positive for a banned substance, Tyranobol, which is a, a short-acting, performance-enhancing drug. Uh, if you were uh, intentionally taking Tyranobol, you would take it, uh, oh, I don't know, 24 to 48 hours before an athletic competition. And um, John Jones was fighting on July 29th 2017 and when did he test positive for tyrannoball oh no, nothing but the day before that fight the 28th of july so john jones this was his second uh failed drug test under the usada reign he also failed a drug test around i believe july 4th or 5th of 2016 right before ufc 200 that led to his fight with daniel cormier being canceled in the week up to the fight and uh, this was his second USADA violation. So the the minimum for the second uh, violation 
according to USADA, is two years. It can go up to maximum as four years. We've seen fighters in the UFC like um, Tom Lawler, Chad Mendez, Leona Machida, um, Josh Barnett all received longer suspensions, 18 months, two years for their first violation, they, their first violation. And, you know, unlike John, they decided to just admit to whatever they had done wrong to whatever they took. And they got two years or 18 months while John Jones had the money and the litigation efforts to fight USADA for, you know, for as long as he ever wanted to, to create some, you know, crazy arbitration process. And eventually, you know, it, it seemed like his plan was to just wear them down, you know, just keep challenging, keep, uh, you know, um, you know, reviewing all of the evidence in, in, in USADA that is, they've gathered and just stall them out. And that's apparently what he was doing. You know, there was no, there was violations by USADA that happened, you know, three months ago, and they already handed out their suspensions within a couple of months. But this case had been 14 months after it happened, and there was still no word on it until yesterday when it announced that John Jones isn't getting 48 months. He's not getting 24 months. He's not getting 36, anything like that. He's getting 15 months. Uh, so as opposed to the, the mandatory... 24 months for the second violation for some forsaken reason he is getting reduced time and that reason would be that he is providing substantial assistance or significant assistance i forget the exact wording of the usada memo uh towards usada in exchange for a reduced sentence significant assistance that sounds like something that, you know, uh, a, a drug dealer would have written on his affidavit when he's trying to figure out, like, which one of his lieutenants turned him in. It's like, significant assistance? Uh, what the hell is going on here? I, somebody must have ratted, right? Yeah, it, it means you're telling on people. You're, you're, you're giving them information on on whatever it is, on who uh, athletes that are doping, coaches that are providing um, steroids, steroid, you know, distributors and doctors. Uh, you know, how he does it, how he cycles, how he uh, gets away from USADA. He, who the hell knows what the hell John Jones uh, told USADA in exchange for this reduced suspension. It's, it's insane because a dude who has tested positive for cocaine, tested positive for two steroids, uh, was involved in a car accident when he was drunk and crashed his car, was involved in a hit and run accident when he hit a pregnant woman and fled the scene, leaving drugs and his car behind, um, you know, being stripped of his UFC title two times, maybe it's three times, I don't even know, uh, I, think it, I think it's three actually, because he was stripped after, was he stripped after the cocaine test? I think he was, I think he was, uh, he was definitely, yeah, he was stripped after the cocaine test and the car accident, those happened pretty close to one another, he won the interim belt at UFC 197, he was stripped of that belt at UFC 200 when he tested positive. He won the light heavyweight belt at UFC 214 and was stripped of that belt after he tested positive for that fight. So he has been stripped of three UFC belts in his career. And that even though he's done so much wrong, he has no problem with snitching out other people in exchange for him getting a lesser lesser sentence. You know, it's it's weird because it sounds like a rumor. It sounds like oh, he snitched and he got out of it, right? That that's the only reason he he could have gotten 15 months. No, no, no. It's in it's in clear writing in the USADA memo that John Jones provided significant assistance towards USADA in exchange for a reduced sentence. So 
there's there's no I mean even his manager Malky Kawa is 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 saying that is calling bullshit on uh, on reporter Ian Kidd saying that he snitched out he's like that didn't happen at all that's complete bullshit and then Ian's like dude it's it's in clear writing in the memo what the fuck are you trying to cover up Jones still for I mean I I really don't understand it man I've been talking about how USADA is is you know a game of cat and mouse on this podcast for a long time about how they're trying to even out this playing field that seems like it's impossible to even out uh, about how they're you know violating people's uh, rights violating athletes rights by knocking on their door at 6 a.m and taking their piss and blood from them multiple multiple times a, a, a month even a week sometimes they come two times in one week uh, you know the, tracking your whereabouts nonstop giving you violations for not giving your exact location at all times it's it's some so so controlling you know they're 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 uh, dictating these fighters' lives where they have to give their location, they have to be available, they have to let them into their homes, let them into their gyms. If they, A lot of fighters are still working regular jobs, as we, as we know very clearly. And, you know, you could be like uh, Jeff Neal is waiting tables at a fucking restaurant working 40 hours a week. He could have some scientists show up at his restaurant and have to go take him in the bathroom, watch him pull his dick out, piss in a cup, take his blood, and then make him go back to waiting tables. Like, what the hell is that about? Okay, if you're going through all of that, you know, you're tracking these people's whereabouts, you're showing up unexpectedly, you're, you know, you're watching them pee, you're taking their blood out, you better, you best believe that that system better be working, right? You know, you better be seeing some results. We better be seeing the steroid users at an all-time low. There's, you know, cheaters like John Jones are, you know, suspended for four years. The USADA program is working thoroughly. That's not the case. The case is that money runs everything. It still does for the UFC. You know, it doesn't matter that Conor McGregor threw a dolly through a window and, and shattered glass in four or five fighters' faces. It matters that he's going to sell pay-per-views and he's fighting five or six months after that happened. It doesn't matter that John Jones got stripped of his belt three times, tested positive twice, was in you know multiple car accidents, is a, a chronic drug user, a chronic liar. doesn't matter. They need a main event for UFC 230, and it doesn't fucking matter that if they have to violate their entire you know uh, policy on USADA, they have to make a complete farce of it and to make a joke of, of the system. It doesn't matter that they have to do any of that. If they, what they need is their main event, they need their ticket sales, they need their their main uh, their fight, whatever they want it to be. Whether it's John Jones versus Daniel Cormier, Alexander Gustafson, uh, who the fuck knows? You know, somebody pointed out on Reddit and they said, "Man, it it seems it, it seems a little too coincidental." Oh, by the way, Dana White has can't come out and said that the John Jones is not fighting at UFC 230. His his suspension is up October 28th, 2018. UFC 230 is on US or on November 3rd. That is 6 days after. You know, for for this event, for it to be announced right now, for you know the, uh, so listen it, it's too good timing it's too fucking good timing do you realize do you realize like what what is going on so we hadn't known for 14 months they were keeping it uh, under wraps for 14 months while well, all of a sudden john jones a guy who doesn't really work that hard out of camp unless he has a fight lined up he doesn't really train he's so good he doesn't need to um so you know 
he uh, so he starts posting videos of him training. You know, him hitting mitts here, him doing this here. He's working out a little bit, and you're like, wait a minute, why is John Jones working out? We even mentioned it on on the podcast a little while ago. Why why is he doing? You know, he's posting these videos. Something must be coming about. Chael Sonnen pointed out something must be coming. He must know something we don't. And now, a day before the press conference, going down in New York City. New York City, where Madison Square Garden is, where Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov are right now, about to go live in a press conference in three hours. The night before that press conference happens, they announce that John Jones is going to be exonerated six days before this event they don't have a main event for. It seems a little fishy. It seems a little fishy. It seems kind of ridiculous that John that Dana White is even saying that the John Jones isn't isn't he's not he's not no yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be exonerated six days before the event we don't have a main event for but he's not he's not main eventing it you know he said that on an interview or some bullshit he said it on Twitter some bullshit um, you know it's it's very very likely that we see a John Jones fight announced in w- within the next three hours it'll probably be announced by the time this podcast is uploaded by the time you're all hearing this. Um, you know, if it's not, I would be surprised. You know, yesterday I was thinking, man, it, it, someone was saying, wait, what's it going to be? Is it going to be Woodley and Covington? Well, Woodley just hurt his hand, apparently, hurt his thumb beating up Darren Till so bad. He's not 100% sure if he's going to be able to fight uh, Covington. It's like, okay, it might not be that one. It's like, hmm, uh, Shevchenko, her fight just fell out, and Ioana said that she's down to fight her. That seems pretty likely, you know. Uh, Suhudo and, and Dillashaw, I don't know, that doesn't seem too likely. I think they'll give uh, Johnson, Demetrius Johnson, on a rematch so maybe Shevchenko versus Joanna that's what it was seeming like yesterday before this news broke now that this news broke I find it very very likely that that, that there's some serious manipulation going on serious undercover planning that John Jones has known about this for months the UFC has known about this for months Uh, um, you know on the broadcast for UFC 228 a couple weeks ago Joe Rogan said that 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 he mentioned saying like we yeah you and I know what the main event for UFC 230 is but we can't announce it yet like he said that he knew some information that hasn't been announced to the public yet seemed seemed a little strange like what the hell are they keeping under wraps you know I mean it had to be big, and uh, it's it, it it was big. You know, uh, I, I just can't stress enough about how how ridiculous this is. Um, for for you know, I don't care that John Jones did steroids. I don't care. You know, I I love to see him back in the octagon. He's the greatest mixed martial arts fighter that has ever fucking walked the planet. Okay, I care about the UFC constantly making a hypocrisy of themselves, constantly undermining themselves, instituting this policy, this USADA, you know, going on for the since since July of 2015. It's been going on for three years when they're tracking people, they're tracking their locations, they're tracking their, you know, they're getting their blood, their piss, their everything, you know, they've been doing this for three years, and all of a sudden, because they need one main event. They're going to throw it all out the window and, and, you know, make a joke of the rules and, you know, just all just completely make a mockery of the system. How is any other athlete going to trust USADA at this point? And this brings me into another point. Daniel Cormier, you know, uh, it's it. Uh, Daniel Cormier is, is, it is a tremendous fighter. He's the double champion of the UFC right now. John Jones's biggest rival. You know, it it. Uh, it hurts me to see to see DC knocked out, you know, uh, like the way he was against John Jones, uh, which was an apparently enhanced uh, human being at the time. But man, J- DC has been fighting and beating enha- steroid enhanced humans his entire life. 
what beat Daniel Cormier in that fight was not steroids. It was technique. John Jones is, you know, setting up an oblique kick, setting up a body kick, and then going high with the head kick just when uh, he has Daniel Cormier thinking about the body and the oblique kicks, and he, he rocks him with the high kick. It's genius. It's, it's, it's crazy, crazy, you know, mental IQ, fight IQ. It's, steroids don't teach you that. But you can't, you just can't have this system in place and, and, you know, scrutinize certain fighters like Daniel Cormier testing him, you know, 30, 40 times over the past couple of years and him passing every single one of those tests, but they're still testing him once, twice a month. While John Jones wasn't being tested at all for the past, like, I don't know, we're something like 35 weeks into the year, 30, 40 weeks into the year, and John Jones hadn't been tested for the first 30. The guy who tested positive three times, but you're testing the guy who hasn't tested, who has tested clean 70 times in his career. You're testing him, you know, every week, every other week, every month. It's it's ridiculous. And Daniel Cormier was on UFC tonight last night. And the reason why I don't think that, Daniel, that John Jones and Daniel Cormier are going to fight because Daniel Cormier doesn't seem like a liar. He doesn't seem like a guy who would put on this fake show, this fake, you know, announcement, this fake speech like he did last night and then all of a sudden turn around today and announce a fight. Um, Daniel Cormier said, listen, I have Matt, I have bosses and they're telling me I got to talk about this. I don't want to talk about John Jones. I'm being forced to talk about John Jones. I've moved on. I have a fight with Brock Lesnar lined up. I'm focusing on that. But here's the deal, USADA. You can't come into my door at 6, a.m., at six in the morning anymore. What's the point? What is the fucking point? Which is, man, this hit home so hard. You have a champion, the two who the reigning over the light heavyweight and the heavyweight division. The guy's about to fight Brock Lesnar, and he is saying that Usada, not yeah, man, you're not you're not taking my piss anymore. You're not taking my blood anymore. I'm not giving you my location anymore, because it, it, what the fuck is it all for? If a guy who tests positive twice is let off the hook with a lesser suspension than guys who, you know, accidentally took trace amounts of substances that have been, you know, proven to be like tainted supplements, you know? You get a supplement that says it's creatine, they have something else in there and you test positive, they test the supplement, they find that there's a, a banned substance in it, and you still get a longer suspension than John Jones got for taking a banned substance twice. No doubt about it. There's no there's no tyrannoball in in pre workout. There's no you know uh, whatever he tested positive for the first time, clobutrinol, whoever the fuck it was. Uh, there's none of that shit. Trace amounts in in in, in supplements. Y these are you know hardcore anabolic steroids that don't get in your system by accident. And somehow the the UFC, the USADA, Dana White all saying that John Jones unwillingly took this substance. Dana White said the science backs up that John Jones took it unknowingly. They said the science, the science. He took a test, you know, a couple days before it was clean. He took one test that was failed, and he took one after and it was clean. He's like, what's the deal there? It's oh, well, maybe he took the fucking drug before that second test. That's exactly what happened. That's why you test people multiple times in a short amount of time, especially before a fight, because there are there are substances that you can take that will still enhance your performance in that short window of time. And that's exactly what John Jones took. There's there's no one with a fucking functioning brain who doesn't believe that John Jones knowingly took steroids. What? His coach slipped in some steroids to his water when he was rehydrating? That makes no fucking sense. The dude who took cocaine the week 
the training camp of leading up to his Daniel Cormier fight. The dude who said he used to get blackout drunk the week before his title fights, you know, the dude who, you know, was a was an alcoholic, drug user, weed smoker throughout his entire MMA career. Those drugs don't enhance your performance. Doing coke, you know, the week before doesn't, do, you know, getting drunk the week before doesn't enhance your performance. It probably diminishes it. But you're supposed to believe that John Jones wouldn't take a drug that knowingly enhances your performance. It, come on, man, get real, get real. So the press conference is going down in three hours. You know, it's obviously about UFC 229. It's going to be centered around Khabib and Connor. It's going to be great. We're going to be able to hear the promotion for that fight for the first time. But man, neck and neck with that that excitement is the excitement of what the hell is going to happen with John Jones. They have to announce a main event for 2:30 tomorrow or tonight. Uh, it's very very likely John Jones. It's very very likely John Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson in my mind. Gustafson already reaching out on social media congratulating John saying let's line up a fight who the fuck knows man um it's it's a crazy crazy uh system you know it seemed like it wasn't going to happen it seemed like they wouldn't they wouldn't make a mockery of the entire system they wouldn't be hypocrites and get and you know just totally diminish the USADA system and let Jones off easy but man it happened it happened and uh it's it's uh you know it's 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 what it, it is what it is man who the fuck knows? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it net more next week um, after this episode. Um, and uh, we'll be doing an episode after after this Sao Paulo card. And then we will do an episode completely devoted to UFC 229. So um, with that being said, the John Jones news is, news is over. We are going to be moving on to the UFC event that went down in Moscow, Russia last Saturday. Headlined by Mark Hunt versus Alexei Olenek. So, um... We had a, uh, you know, the card on paper had a lot of mismatches. It didn't have too many interesting matchups. It didn't have a lot of promise um, looking into it. You know, it was exciting that the UFC was going to Russia for the first time. They finally broke into this market they've been trying to get into for a while. There were a lot of, you know, uh, great performers on the card with favorable matchups. We thought we were going to see some great performances. I would say the card was, uh, it was uh, an average card. It didn't, it didn't necessarily disappoint me. It didn't thrill me. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to spend too much time going through it. We're going to spend the time mostly diving into these Sao Paulo fights, but I'm just going to graze over these fights real quick. So Merab Divishvili defeated Terion Ware by decision, just a complete domination by Divishvili. Uh, just takedown after takedown. Ware had nothing. Apparently Ware injured himself in pretty early in the fight, but who the fuck knows? He, he wouldn't have been able to stop those takedowns if he had three or four arms. Um, so, uh, you know, Ware unfortunately went 0-4 in the UFC, facing super, super stiff competition. Uh, Marab got his first win in the UFC. So good for him. Marab's looking really good. He, I believe he called out Sean O'Malley, which, it'll be, which is a, actually a very good fight for him, uh, Marab. You know, uh, I think that O'Malley would not be able to stop his takedowns at all, but I, I don't see the UFC giving uh, Sean O'Malley that fight. You know, he's already, I would think, 2 or 3-0 in the UFC, and they're still giving him easy fights uh, like, he, like his matchup in a couple weeks. So not too much faith in the UFC to match them up, but Marab is looking good. And uh, unfortunately, Terran Ter- Ware will be cut after this fight you know 0-4 there's pretty much no justification for him getting the fifth fight and uh hopefully he can get some wins back on the amateurs guys wrestling back up to uh up to speed maybe take some performance enhancing drugs because man this guy has no power in his hands has no explosiveness has nothing he's got good technique and good skill but just no power no uh aggressiveness 
So uh, moving on, we have Ramazan Amiyev taking on Stefan Solucic. Uh, because complete domination by Amiyev, you know, taking him down, uh, you know, showing off his striking, looking pretty good in there. Uh, didn't Not exactly looking like minus 600 in there. Uh, you know, this line, a lot of these lines were extremely, extremely juiced. Um, as we as we know, we were going over the, the, the massive amount of favorites in this card, but... Um, Amiv taking out Salutris, uh pretty uh, pretty easily in this one. Uh, moving on, we had Jordan Johnson take out Adam Yandelev by an arm triangle choke in the second round. Uh, this fight was a pretty crazy first round, you know, it was it was high intensity, you know, a lot of grappling scrambles like we expected. You know, Yandiev, uh, not very technical, uh, but he's got he's got heart, you know, he was in some pretty deep chokes and he still uh, he still weaseled his way out of the chokes and uh, eventually got, you know, caught in a choke, you know, uh, to finish the fight. But he, he definitely didn't give up easy. He didn't he wanted to he wanted to fight to the last uh, the last breath. Um but uh, you know Jordan Johnson looking much much improved. Uh, he's really like uh, I think gonna start showing his full talent in his next couple of fights. He hasn't really been able to get off all of his skills in his uh, his couple uh, first couple UFC fights, but I think he's really uh, growing into his talent. Uh, next fight we had Magomed Ankalov take out Marchin Prachino with a head kick in the first round. Man, he blasted this kick. Man, uh, Prachino had his his high guard up, and it didn't matter. Ankalov bounced this this kick off his forearms, and it still knocked Prachino down. Uh, just massive, massive power. Ankalov obviously had a huge brain fart in his last fight, and uh, you know I believe that fight will probably stain him and his reputation forever. People will always you know not will uh, maybe discredit him a little bit for losing that fight but he certainly looked like the the killer that we know that he is uh man he uh he really just came in there just trying to prove a statement and he took uh Prachino out really quick in this one so uh super impressive from Ankalev I'm really looking forward to him getting some uh I hope I hope the dude has a visa because man he there's some there's some really good fights that are going on in the light heavyweight division uh you know Dominic Reyes and Ovin St. Peru uh uh Eric Anders and uh uh, Thiago Santos, which is the main event of this uh, this week's card, are you know a lot of a lot of uh, potential contenders at two hundred five. Um, Volkan Ozdemir, uh, Anthony Smith, you know a lot lot of guys, man. Uh, so uh, hopefully uh, Ankalev is able to get over the U.S. But man, even there's there's a good amount of talent internationally, you know. Too, we had that Singapore card where uh, Tyson Pedro and uh, Ovin St. Pru fought. Uh, Iri Latifi is an international guy, so there's still matchups for him at 205 uh, internationally if he's not able to get in the U.S. But man, as we see, like with this next fighter, Maribek Tysonov, if you do not have a U.S. visa, man, it is tough to progress your UFC career. Maribek Tysonov defeating Desmond Green by decision. He is, I believe, 7-1 and one in the UFC now, but man, he said after this fight, if I can't get my US visa, I might retire. Because there's just not too many, you know, there's not too many high-level fighters that are willing to travel, you know, internationally to take on uh, a killer like Tysonov, unfortunately. Desmond Green, obviously, was very game and, uh, you know, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't look plus 400 in there. Desmond Green was pretty competitive. Uh, Tysonov really just edged this fight out. Uh, you know, he missed weight by five or six pounds, too. So, pretty bad showing from Tysonov, uh, you know. There could have been an injury because he he didn't look himself. He wasn't throwing as many heavy punches in this one. And you know Desmond Green has never been finished in his career, and uh, you know wasn't finished in this fight either. As a lot of people thought that he was was going to get finished. Doesn't really have the greatest uh, striking. And Tyson Wolf is a murderous puncher, so. 
Um, you know, Tysonov, uh looking looking a little underwhelming in there, honestly. Um, Paul Felder was even throwing a little bit of shade his way, saying, you know, damn, you missed weight by five or six pounds, and, you know, you're still looking average in there, barely winning this fight. So maybe Paul Felder wants to come over to uh, Russia or some shit and fight uh, Tysimov. But um, moving on, Rustam Kavilov defeating Cajun Johnson in a split decision. Um, this was a, this was a, a robbery, uh, no doubt about it. Cajun Johnson won this fight. Rustam Kavilov, the Russian, won this uh, fight on the scorecards. Um, I believe something like 75-80% of people, let me let me check our good old MMADecisions.com. Those guys should sponsor me, honestly. Um, so, uh, Rustam Kabilov versus Cajun Johnson. We had 81% um, of people agree that Cajun Johnson won the fight two rounds to one. So, just pretty much no no justification at all for uh, Kabilov winning that fight. Um it, it, man, uh, you know, shit happens. You, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be in a, a home country, and you know you're gonna get some some bullshit decisions. It happens in Russia. It happens in it happened in England. It'll probably happen in Brazil this weekend. It happened in the, on the last Brazil card. It's just a it's a part of our sport. Hometown decisions are uh, are you know son of a bitch. But either way, uh, um. You know, uh, Cajun Johnson, unfortunately, uh, I believe this was his last fight on, on, on his contract. And, you know, he is at the front of uh, the unionization efforts towards the UFC. So, man, uh, him, unfortunately, losing this fight is not looking good for him and the rest of his career. Hopefully, you know, the UFC signs him. But, man, we know their their reputation towards you know, uh, people trying to unionize. They, they they don't have any obligation to re-sign them, and they won't if they feel they're like they're going to be a problem. So, um, Cajun will probably be cut and uh, Rustam Kabilov looking way past his prime his first fight in a while and he looked uh, significantly diminished in this one will probably be future fade material uh, in Kabilov the most fun fight of the night, Peter Yan defeating Jin Sun Sun uh, by unanimous decision. Just a crazy, crazy uh, barn burner of a fight. This Jin Sun Sun motherfucker is crazy. He was eating punches off the jaw and sticking his head forward and screaming and sticking his teeth out and smiling and yelling and wanting more. Like, just... He would get hit with a combo, one, two, three, head kick, and then he would he would go ah and stick his teeth out and stick his face out and be like, "Come on, dog, hit me with some more shots." This guy had an iron chin, man. Jan was hitting him with some bombs, bomb, crazy, crazy power punches, and some was just taking them easily, man. Just incredible performance from Sun. You know, it was his it was his uh his UFC debut. He came in here on short notice. He uh. You know, didn't land too much offensively. He lost the round. Th he lost the fight three rounds to zero in my mind. But Jan, uh, you know, Jan also looking good, showing off his diversified boxing. But man, his power might not be as much as we thought because he uh, had some trouble putting away Son. But um, next fight we had Khalil Mertsaliyev defeating CB Dalloway in the second round. Khalid, uh, you know, pretty close fight in the first round, and I believe uh, CB almost had. Uh, Mertsaliyev in a choke, but then he got out of it. Mertsaliyev also ha almost had CB in a choke. Really, really, really deep Darce choke. I have no idea how CB Dalloway escaped that. And then Mertsaliyev got mount and pounded CB Dalloway for, for about 30 to 45 seconds. Herb Dean, uh, for some reason, didn't stop this fight. 
just let CB take an extreme amount of unanswered punishment. It was one of the worst stop, one of the worst stoppages I've ever seen. And you know, as Dalloway couldn't even get back to his feet and was fucked up on the ground after the after the round was over, that's when they decided to call it instead of when he was eating all the punches beforehand. But just terrible, terrible refereeing by Herb Dean. Khalid Mertzalia, though, looking really, really good, showing a pretty, uh, pretty diversified game in his first fight in the UFC. Um, moving on to the main card, we had Oleksiy Kunchenko defeat Thiago Alves by decision. Uh, pretty close fight, honestly. You know, uh, Kunchenko was like minus 600, minus 500, and, uh, you know, Alves put up a good fight. We had two judges give uh, give one round to Alves, and then I think some Russian judge gave all three rounds to Kunchenko. Kunchenko looking pretty underwhelming in there, man. Uh, we, you know, he was knocking dudes out in M1, and uh, looks like he's, he, he looks a little old, he looks a little stiff, and he doesn't look as powerful as he did back in M1, so could be coming off the special sauce, you know, who the fuck knows, uh, you know, the Russians are pretty good with hiding up their doping, but so, uh, who, who knows, uh, if he's actually off it or not, but man, he definitely looked off the stuff in this fight, um, just, just a shell of himself in M1, he still got the technique and everything, and just doesn't have that, that pop in his punches, that power explosiveness, so, uh, I hope that maybe it was just, you know, uh, UFC jitters, maybe him playing it safe in his first fight against a dangerous opponent like Alves. Like I said, Alves did have a good amount of success in this fight. So, uh, but I mean, I think that uh, Konchenko, despite his 19-0 record, uh, you know, will end up losing some fights in the UFC against, you know, maybe not even the highest level competition. He might fight some top 15, top 10 guys and end up losing. Um in the future next fight in the worst fight and that i've seen in a very long time shamil abderman abderminikov defeating andrey arlovsky by decision just an awful low volume terrible terrible fight not even going to say anything about it except for both guys did a very very disservice to all the fans in that arena by putting on such a shitty fight um next fight the opposite of that super intense uh a high intense or er, high activity fight john blahovich defeating nikita krylov with an arm triangle choking the second round um, man, Blaho uh, Nikita, I believe, got Blahovich to the ground and was doing a little bit of damage to Blahovich. Blahovich hit an incredible sweep towards the end of the first round, reversed a position, and started uh, dominating Nikita on the ground. Surprisingly, Blahovich wasn't even like a two to one. I was like two to one after the first round favorite. Um, you know, I thought from that fight on, from that moment on, I was pretty confident in my Blahovich play that he was going to get the win. I had Blahovich by decision and his money line. Unfortunately, he got the the choke and uh, ended it a little bit early. But man, he really outclassed Nikita on the ground in this one. And Blahovich is just a he's a motherfucker, man. I, I think he's he's really going to be uh, possibly one of the next title contenders at, at two hundred five. I, I would really like to see him fight. Um, um, you know, like I said, some of these guys coming up at 205, uh, possibly uh, Ankalev or um, uh, the winner of um, Mano, or the winner of Santos and Aaron Anders, the winner of uh, Ozdemir and Smith. You know, a lot of uh, the winner of Reyes and, or, and Shogun. A lot of good fights going on at late heavyweight. All of a sudden, after the division was a, in a bit of a lull, but like I said, Blahovich I think is is at the front running of the the the, the division right now. Obviously behind uh, the champion, and uh, let's see what he, where he's at in the rankings. Light heavyweight, we have Lehovich at three behind Ozdemir and Gustafsson. I think he should be, honestly, at two, uh, maybe even one, because Gustafsson hasn't fought in so long. 
you know, Ozdemir hasn't picked up a win since uh, his fight with uh, Jimmy Manawa uh, at UFC 214, which is, you know, over a year ago. So I think Blahovich, you know, uh, racking up three or four wins in the past year is a clear number one contender. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see who uh, who uh, Jones's opponent is. Holy shit, man! Jo- John Jones versus John Blahovich. It's a fight I never thought of uh, in my mind, but it's a fight that might happen. Um, you know, obviously with the, all the news we talked about in the beginning of the show. Um, you know, I think jo- I think it'll be Gustafsson though. Um, so um, moving on to the main event. Um, of the card, we had Alexi Olenek defeat Mark Hunt via rear naked choke in the first round. Um, man, what a weird fight. Mark Hunt landed some pretty stiff punches, some pretty nasty leg kicks that had Olenek wobbling. It looked like we were just waiting for Mark Hunt to uncork one big punch and just give us another highlight reel knockout. But that didn't happen. And uh, Alexi might have grazed Hunt with a punch, knocked Hunt off balance a little bit. It looked like Mark Hunt like tripped over his own ankle. And we all know Mark Hunt on the ground. He's a, he's a, he's a bum. He hasn't learned a ground game in his 20 to 25 years of martial art. Alexi Olenek is an elite gra- grappler. He cinched up a choke on Mark Hunt in 30 seconds, and that was that. So, man, Mark Hunt had this fight won, man. He had his opponent hurt with punches. He had him wobbling on one leg. He had him limping, and he still found a way to fuck it up. Man, it's, it's just a... It's just a a detriment of to where uh, Mark Hunt's career is at right now. Uh, there's been rumors of Gokan Saki, fellow uh, striker, f- f- uh, former K1 champion like Mark Hunt. Um, those two being interested in fighting one another. That'd be a perfect fight. It'll be kept standing. It'll be a slugfest on the feet, so neither one of them have to grapple. And, uh, you know, that'll be a, a great fight for the both of them uh, p- uh hopefully the last fun fight of mark hunt's career i believe he wants to fight on like the new zealand card uh you know at the end of the year or something like that uh, as his last fight which is a very smart move by hunt uh it's, it's definitely time to wrap it up uh with his career record of 33 and earth with his career record of 13 and 13 standing at 44 years old so uh, moving on to this this week's card, like I said, this the, uh, this Russia card was uh, you know wasn't a disappointment, didn't thrill me, but it was just a little bit in the middle, a uh, bit of an average card, and uh, you know, but but definitely great to, great to get the feet in the water. It did great attendance wise, 23,000 people sold that bitch out. There were apparently like fifteen thousand people in the arena for the first fight, which man in in. America, there will be, you know, a few hundred, I'm not kidding, a few hundred people in the arena for the first fight. And uh, then it'll slowly progress to maybe a few thousand during the prelims. And then maybe it'll hit the 10,000 mark during like the, the main card uh, co-main event time. But man, people really take their time getting there, but not the Russians. They were there early for this one. They are really excited for the UFC to get there. And uh, I think uh, I think the UFC will be going back pretty sh- pretty shortly. So, Moving on to the card this week, we are in Sao Paulo, Brazil. This event has had a crazy amount of changes to it. Um, let me let me re- let me uh, read off some of the changes that uh, have uh, happened to this card. Let's see, topology. Um, um, so the the headlining fight is the one that suffered the most uh, damage. It was started off as Glover Teixeira versus Jimmy Manawa was the main event. It then went to 
Jimmy Manoa versus Thiago Santos as the main event. The Jimmy Manoa flies down to Brazil, fight week, goes for a run, and apparently tears his hamstring on his run. Forces him out of the fight, and Eric Anders fills in on six days' notice. We also had a lot of other fights. Neil Magny versus Alex Oliveira fall through. Bilal Muhammad got injured with his fight versus Oleski de Santos. Uh, Mark Godbeer fell out of his fight with Luis Henrique. Um, Caitlin Vieira got injured with her fight out of uh, Tony Evinger. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. out of his fight with Elias Theodoro. So a lot of a lot of Brazilians uh, taking a hit on this one. The the card has you know been a little bit diminished by those injuries. Um, looking at the card, uh, since I've started going through uh, deeply analyzing these cards, since I started doing the podcast and tracking odds a lot more within the past uh, 10, 10, 9 or ten months. There haven't been many cards that I haven't still found bright spots in. You know, still said, oh, I'm still looking forward to so-and-so making his debut. I'm still looking forward to this matchup. Man, this card... This card is bad. It's really bad. It's uh, there, there's there's no very good matchups. There's no you know prospects that are coming up really. Uh, maybe one one prospect that I'm looking forward to seeing, but this card is uh, it, it just doesn't do it for me. You know, as far as betting, it's it's not looking too good either. There's a lot of heavy favorites. Um, uh, you know, but but the props that came out recently, I think, are looking pretty good. So I'll talk about them at the end um, to get some some bright spots on the betting. But we're going to start talking about the first fight on the prelims. Um, this fight is a strawweight. There are 14 fights on this card, so strap in, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and I believe the main card is starting at 10:30 p.m. on Eastern Standard Time, which means the main event will be going on around 1:30 a.m. So. That sounds fucking miserable. Um, so beside that, starting off in the women's strawweight division, we have Livia Renata Souza, who is 11 and one, taking on Alex Chambers, who is five and four. Uh, Livia Renata Souza opened up this fight at minus 530. Alex Chambers at plus 350, and Souza has went from minus 530 to minus 1300. That is fucking incredible live movement. You know, Alex Chambers is obviously a very low-skilled fighter. She's lost by submission a few times. She's fighting a submission fighter. Uh, imagine a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, obviously, just a very high-level grappler. Uh, got a lot of submissions on her on her uh, record. Um, is 11-1, and one, like I mentioned. 4-1 uh, and one in the UFC, or in Invicta, by the way, with three finishes, too. Her only loss in Invicta with coming to UFC fighter Angela Hill, a very legit person, uh, uh, fighter, excuse me, <laughs> person. Um, so, in you know, Alex Chambers has been submitted by very low-level grapplers, Aisling Daly and Paige Van Zandt. Man, just, just terrible grapplers she's been submitted by. So, seems like a nightmare matchup for Alex Chambers in this one. She seems like she's going to get submitted and submitted quickly. Next fight in the 170-pound division, we have... Man, I, I really don't know how to pronounce this guy's first name. Aletsu? It's... Eli Tsu, Eletsu Zaleski Dos Santos. I, I call him Zaleski Dos Santos for short. <laughs> uh, he is um, 19 and 5, who is taking on Luigi Vendamini, who is 7 and 0, making his UFC debut. Uh, Zaleski Dos Santos is 5 and 1 in the UFC. Uh, he opened up at this fight 
minus 475 to Luigi at plus 325. He has gone down from minus 475 to all the way down to minus 850. So again, people laying massive juice on Zaleski Dos Santos here. You know, pretty rightfully so. Uh, Z uh, uh, Zaleski had that incredible spinning back kick knockout in his last fight. You know, uh, really, really impressive uh, knockout over a very, very good opponent in strong Sean Strickland as well. Uh, you know, and Luigi uh, Vendermini is, uh, you know, a Brazilian gentleman. He is, uh, uh, it, says, it says he's 8 no instead of 7 no excuse me. Um, and, but, you know, his his opponents, uh, you know, 0-0, 0-0, 0-1, 0-2, 6-2, 7-5. So, uh, just very, very low-level competition. He's just fighting cab driver after can, after, you know, garbage man. And uh, now he's fighting a very, very legit competitor in Z uh, Zaleski Dos Santos. Like I said, 5-1 and one in the UFC. Uh, beat Strickland. Uh, beat Max Griffin. Uh, Omari Akhmedov, Kita Nakamura. Very, very legit opponents. So uh, pretty deserving for uh, Zaleski to be minus 850 in this fight. Um, you know, the people who are laying juice on it are obviously still fucking crazy. But, um, you know, like I said, justified at minus 850. And uh, next fight we have in the 185 pound division, Talis Latis, who is 27 and 9, is taking on Hector Lombard, who is 34, 9 and 1. Uh, Talis Latis opened up in this fight at minus 165 to Hector Lombard at plus 125. The lines have since flipped. Hector Lombard is now the favorite at minus 135, and Talis Latis as plus 115. So two veterans of the MMA game, veterans of the UFC too, both have been in for a long, long time. Talis Latis is 12 and 8 in the UFC in two different tenures. Uh, once, you know, in like the 2007 to 2010 range, went off for a couple of years and came back in 2013. Hector Lombard, uh, man, he had an incredible, incredible career uh, coming into the UFC. He came into the UFC with a record of 31 and 2. He is now 34 9 and 1. He's gone 3 7 and 1 in the UFC. Just a terrible terrible career in the UFC. He's lost 5 in a row, losing his last fight via disqualification to CB Dalway for he started throwing a combination, the bell rang and then in the middle of the combination, he knocked out CB Dalway and uh, they caught they they ruled it a disqualification. Honestly, unjustly so you know he was in the middle of the combination at four minutes and 59 seconds he was throwing whatever it was you know one two three and he threw the one and then as the the bell rang and then he threw a two three okay it is the referee's job for he hears the bell clap 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 that he is waiting. He's he's waiting, waiting, waiting to to jump in between the fighters, to stick his hands in between them and, and separate them so they don't throw any more blows. So he's waiting. He's waiting. You know, probably, probably counting down in his head nine, eight, seven, six, and then right when it's at one second, he's jumping in between the two of them to stop the fight. Okay, if the ref isn't jumping in between the two of you to stop the fight, then it is the fighter's job to still be throwing fucking punches. It happened versus, uh, you know, in Jose Aldo versus Chad Mendes. It happened in. Uh, Jermaine Durandame versus Holly Holm. It happens not somewhat frequently, but it's happened before. And it's usually at the fault of the ref. The ref is supposed to get in between there and make it so no more punches can be thrown. The ref did not do that, and he disqualified Hector Lombard for doing nothing wrong. 
So, you know, despite Hector Lombard losing five in a row, he basically won his last fight. Uh, Talos Latis, his last fight, man, was looking decent against Jack Hermanson, was winning the fight. And in the third round, it looked like he just rolled over, gassed out, and got finished. It was it was incredible, man. It was I had a bet on, on Talos Latis in this one. And, you know, it was, I was fucking dumbfounded. He was clearly winning the fight. Like, he was on his way to winning the third, his third round. I think three rounds to zero. And it looked like he, like, like Hermanson just bumped his hips. He flipped over, ended up on bottom, and just couldn't get off his back and got pounded out for a finish. It was, it was incredible, man. It, uh, you know, latest is, uh, let me check his, his record. Uh, leading up to that fight, I don't. I feel like he was struggling a little bit but, uh, before that fight too. Yeah, he uh, has been looking at like a shell of himself in the past couple of years, losing to Bisping Musasi, obviously very high level opponents, uh, getting a win over Kamozi and Alvi, losing to Christoph Joko, Brad Tavares, Hermosin. Yeah, so two and five in his last seven, he's struggling. And uh, but you know this fight is in Brazil, his home country. I think that'll that'll fare well to him. He's got you know a, a declining opponent uh, as well in um, Hector Lombard. So it's a it's a winnable fight for latest. Uh, I, I liked Lombard's line at plus one twenty five where it opened. I actually hit that line for a half a unit, and uh, I'm pretty happy with it considering the lines has has fl since flipped. Uh, you know. Um, he opened up with a chance of let's see 44% and now he sits at a chance of 57% so I'm very happy with that the action I got in on uh, homeboy Hector Lombard who I'm relying to pick up his first win in six fights um, and to head to that though uh, with a crazy crazy prop line Talis latest knockout is plus 785 right now. I mean, I can't imagine it's still, it was at that an hour ago when I checked when the props first came out. Let me check uh, five dimes right now to check and see if it is still that high. But man, I thought that was crazy. A plus 585. Yeah, it went down big time, big time. So, um... I posted that 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 line on two different social media, so I assume that I have a, a lot to do with the line movement. Uh, you know, taking credit where it's due. So, um, so yeah, like I said, even though I'm on Lombard in this one, he's still you know a declining fighter. He's still a very low output. He still has a pretty weak chin. Uh, Latest is still looking a little bit competent, so I have no problem uh, you know hedging a little bit on uh, Talis Latest by knockout. So uh, moving on to the next fight on the card in the women's flyweight division, we have Maria Bueno Silva, who is four and zero, taking on Jillian Robertson, who is five and two. Bueno Silva opened up at minus one forty five in this one, and Jillian Robertson at plus one hundred five. Since then, the lines have flipped again, two fights in a row. Jillian uh, Robertson now the favorite at minus one forty five. Bueno Silva up to plus one twenty five. Um, both these women are extremely talented grapplers. Bueno Silva made her uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series a few months ago, um, securing a beautiful ninja choke, which is a like a variant of a Darce, variant of a guillotine. It's a very slick choke. You don't see it too often, but she locked that up and got the tap in that one. And uh, Jillian Robertson, also a very skilled grappler, submitting Emily Whitmire and Molly McCann in her, in her most recent fights. I think both of them by armbar. She's a very skilled grappler. Um... So this fight, I imagine, will have some great, great grappling exchanges. Really looking forward to it. Um, and, you know, uh, I believe it'll end in a submission. Um, despite both of them having, you know, uh, grappling talents, I think that they're both uh, maybe a little one-dimensional in their grappling. So who knows? Um, 
who knows what their striking will look like in this one, you know? So, uh, um, I'm looking forward to looking forward to this one. I'm expecting some good grappling and, um, I believe Jillian Robertson will, uh, will come out victorious though. Next fight, we have Ben Saunders, who is, uh, this fight's in the welterweight division. Uh, ben Saunders, who is 22 and 9 and 2, is taking on Sergio Marias, who is 33, 3 and 1. Ben Saunders opened up for this fight at plus 145. Sergio Marias opened up minus 185. The line right now has gone much in the favor of Sergio Marais, going from minus 185 to minus 280. Ben Saunders from plus 145 to plus 240. A lot of action coming in on Marais. I think that opener was a little bit low. Minus 185 seemed like a great line for Sergio Marais. Um, you know, uh, despite their most recent fights, I think the reason why this line was closer is because their most recent fights. Ben Saunders in his last, in his most recent fight, defeated Jake Allenberger um, by, I believe, a knockout, like a TKO. And Sergio Marias had a very close split decision against Tim Means, where this was an example of Tim Means, Brazilian fighter, having a close fight with an American fighter in Brazil. And most people, let's uh, go over to our, uh, our, our favorite website, MMADecisions.com, and uh, check out Sergio Marias and uh, see, see what that decision ha uh, had, see what the numbers behind this decision were. So we have 77% of people agreeing that Tim Means defeated Sergio Marias two, two rounds to one. We have about uh, 14 reporters scoring the fight. 13 of them scored the fight for Tim Means. So, yep, uh, confirmed robbery in this one. Um, actually, 85% of people overall agree that one uh, Means won the fight. Uh, some people actually thought he won three rounds to zero. So 85% of people agreed that Means won the fight. Unfortunately, the Brazilian judges had uh, different, different opinions. Um, and, uh, you know... Uh, actually, you know, Tony Weeks was one of that. Tony Weeks was, uh, it looks like there were two Brazilian judges, and t one of them scored the fight for uh, the Brazilian, one of them scored it for the American, and then the American judge actually scored it for uh, Marais. But, you know, who the fuck, man, Tony Weeks, Glenn Trowbridge, Sal Mato, even though they, they rest, they're refing fights all over America, all over the world, they still don't know what the fuck MMA is about. Those guys consistently score fights wrong. It, it, it is so frustrating to see. Those guys are in Vegas judging the biggest in fights. They're in Brazil. They're in, you know, England. They're all over the place, and they don't know how to score fights. So, um... You know, uh, let's see. Uh, so again, getting back to this fight, Ben Saunders, ten and six in the UFC. Sergio Marais, seven two and one in the UFC. Uh, like I said, their their uh, their most recent fights are, uh, I think, influencing their line a little bit in this one. But I think that Ben Saunders is way past his prime, and uh, you know, Marais is still uh, within his prime. So I think that Marais is is going to have uh, have better striking in this one. You know, I think that their, their grappling will be pretty similar with one another. Saunders is pretty good on the ground. Um, so, but I think that Sergio is going to ha have his way with Saunders on the feet. And uh, Saunders is pretty hittable, um, you know, gets lit up with a lot of punches. Has an okay tie clinch, but I don't think he'll be able to implement it here. But where the line is now, plus 240, I, I definitely would not trust him, uh, Sergio Marais, at minus 280. And there is there is a little bit of value on Ben Saunders at plus 240. Uh, I'm still not going to be betting on Saunders because, like I said, I just think he's a little bit too over the hump to trust with money at this point. Um, next fight in the heavyweight division, we have Chase Sherman, who is 11-5, taking on Augusto Sakai, who is 11-3. 
Augusto Sakai opened up in this one as a huge favorite at minus 285 to Chase Sherman at plus 205. And looking over at 5dimes.eu, we have Chase Sherman at plus 215, Augusto Sakai at minus 255. So the lines have tightened up a little bit. I don't know. I don't know how the action works on this one because Augusto Sakai has become a little bit less of a favorite, and Chase Sherman has become a little bit more of an underdog. So they don't really. They don't. These lines didn't really move in the uh, the way that most lines do, where. Uh, where you know, if if a person is the if the favorite gets deeper, then the underdog will get bigger. But the 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 favorite got shallower, and the the favorite the underdog still got bigger. Who the fuck knows how that works? Um, odds aside, uh, Augusto Sky is a fat, sloppy, bad defensive uh, striker. You know, he made his uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series in a pretty underwhelming fight. I honestly have no idea how the fuck this dude made the roster after that fight. You know, Chase Sherman also, no idea how the dude's on the roster at this point. He is 2-4 and four in the UFC. Uh, he's got pretty bad defense, gets lit up with a lot of punches, not the best chin, you know, two, like I said, 2-4. and four. Um, you know, he's lost, he's got knocked out by Shamil Abdurmanikov. Shamil! That, like, with the guy who just had the most boring fight I've ever seen, who looked like he couldn't, he couldn't fucking knock out, uh, a bantamweight, and he somehow knocked out Shem, uh, Chase Sherman. Who, who knows, man, his chin is weak. Um, I think the Sakai is, is not, should not be trusted at minus 250 for sure. But man, I have a hard time trusting Chase Sherman, even at plus 200. I do like Chase Sherman's knockout line at plus 510. Uh, I think that there's a, you know, if there, if Chase Sherman has a way of getting this fight done at all, obviously it's buying the knockout. And I think that there's a little bit better of a, uh, a little bit better of a what is it um 14 percent chance that he knocks him out, uh that he knocks him out so um let's see yes yeah, yeah 17 percent chance that he knocks him out i think there's a little bit a little bit higher than that maybe 25 to 30 percent um the uh the line hasn't moved since i reported my my uh, my findings on the props the props dropped about a couple hours ago and i tweeted out and i posted on share dog a couple of props that caught my eye and um you know, just share them out. So, uh, moving on in this fight. Oh yeah. So, so Sakai, I, I can't trust him. I, I'm, I'm going to pick Sherman in this one, uh, despite him being 215 and me not trusting plus 215 and me not trusting that money line, I'm still going to pick him. Um, so, uh, moving on into the next fight, we have Luis Henrique at, this fight is at 205 light heavyweight division, Luis Henrique, who is 10 and four taking on Ryan Spann, who is 14 and five. Uh, this fight opened up uh, Luis Henrique de Silva at plus 155 to Ryan Span at minus 195. Uh, the lines have tightened up a little bit. Ryan Span is now minus 160. Luis Henrique plus 140. So seems like uh, the the opening was a little bit too steep on uh, on Ryan Span, and people are betting a little bit on uh, de Silva as the underdog. Ryan Spann is coming off of three LFA finishes and uh, a win on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, while uh, Luis Henrique de Silva is coming off of two losses to Marcia Tabura and Asian Bueller. Um, you know, Tabura is a very legitimate heavyweight. Bueller is not. Um, you know, so uh, this fight is taking place at 205, though. Both of the gentlemen are dropping down in this fight. So uh, I don't really have a clear prediction on this one because I just haven't seen enough of the two gentlemen to make a clear prediction. Um, 
So with that being said, I'm just going to move on and uh, to a fight in the lightweight the lightweight division. Evan Dunham, who is 18-7-1, taking on Francisco Trinaldo, who is 22-6. Francisco Trinaldo opened up in this one at minus 210 to Evan Dunham at plus 165. And surprisingly, people are still betting at Francisco Trinaldo at minus 210. He currently sits at minus 245 to Evan Dunham at plus 205. Uh, very interesting, you know. Uh, Evan Dunham was on uh, a four-fight win streak before he lost his last fight to Oben uh, Oliver Oben Mercier. Um, you know, Evan Dunham has been in the UFC a very long time. He's eleven and seven in the UFC. Trinaldo is eleven and five. Both these guys are very established uh, uh, veterans. So, uh, Evan Dunham four and five in his last one, in his last four and one in his last five. Excuse me. Hard to, hard to believe he's plus 200 right now. I think there's a good bit of value on him. Trinaldo losing his last fight to James Vick. Uh, you know, he was just outstruck in that one. Trinaldo's got good striking. Uh, he's got, you know, decent wrestling too. He beat Jim Miller in his uh, fight before Vick. You know, fought Kevin Lee in his fight before that. Struggled in that one and lost. But, but um, you know, uh, it's I don't know. It's going to be tough for... I, 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 it's going to be a striking match, I think, and I think that Dunham will not fare well against Trinaldo. I think that Trinaldo will win this one, but I think that there's value on Dunham at plus 205, what he is right now. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't trust Trinaldo at plus, minus 245. Next fight we have... And the 155-pound division, Charles Oliveira, who is 23-8, taking on Christos Gigagos. Uh, who the fuck knows how you pronounce that? Um... Charles Oliveira is 11 and 8 in the UFC. He opened up at minus 320 for this one. And uh, Gigagos, I don't have what he opened up at. Oh boy, I, gotta, I wrote wrote down my research wrong. Let's see. Um, Gigagos opened up at plus 240 for this one. If I look over at uh, 5dimes.eu right now, um, Charles Oliveira is currently minus 390. Gigagos is plus 320. So, um, Charles Oliveira being bet down a little bit, but not as much as some of the other favorites in this one, surprisingly. Uh, Gigagos has been in the UFC before. He got cut after going 1-2. and two, Has recently been fighting over in Russia and ACB, and uh, he was brought back for this fight. I believe it's a short-notice fight. Uh, that's why he is in this spot. And um, Oliveira is coming off of a... Uh, a, a tap out or a submission over Clay Guida and a loss to Paul Felder. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Oliver will get this one done. I think he'll win it by sub like he usually does. His 11 and eight record doesn't really reflect how good he is. Um, he, he's tremendous. So, uh, I think he's got like the most submissions in the UFC history. Um, so moving on to the women's 115-pound division, this is the fight where I was uh, I was actually looking forward to the one prospect uh, on this card, and her name is Marina Rodriguez. She is 11 and 0, and she is taking on Random Marcos, who is 8 and 6. Um, Marina Ro Rodriguez opened up in this one at minus 160 to Random Marcos at plus 120. This line's been going all over the place all week. I've seen Rodriguez as a favorite. I've seen Marcos as a favorite. I've seen them flip-flop three or four times. Marcos is right now at minus 120. Rodriguez at plus 100. So the lines have flipped. Um, 
seemed seemed a little steep to open up Rodriguez at minus 160 versus a proven UFC veteran like um, Marcos. She is four and five in the UFC. Not the, obviously not the greatest record. Uh, also losing your last fight to Nina Ansaroff in a you know in a pretty low IQ fight. Like uh, I, I don't think Marcos has a good IQ fight IQ. Uh, you know, she's got decent wrestling. She just doesn't know how to implement it well. She doesn't know, you know, she just doesn't, uh, I, she doesn't know how to use it. Um, she goes for takedowns at the wrong time. She goes for desperation takedowns. She goes for judo throws when they're not going to land. And she puts herself in bad spots a lot. And it actually, her wrestling kind of negates itself because, like I said, she puts herself in bad positions w with her wrestling. Like what happened with the last fight versus Nina Ansaroff. It was a razor-thin fight. It was one round apiece. Uh, Marcos won the first. Ansaroff won the second. The round three was really close. Neither woman had done much in the first uh, three minutes and 30 seconds. With 90 seconds left, Randa Marcos goes for a head and arm judo throw, ends up on bottom, and Nina Ansaroff wins the third round for a decision. So, like I said, even though Ansaroff was the weaker wrestler, weaker grappler, Marcos still put, used her grappling to disadvantage herself to losing that fight. So, you know, uh, you know, I, was, I don't think Marcos' striking is, is any, any good either. I think it's actually horrendous. Marcos' game is to push you up against the fence, take you down, and to hold position on you to win rounds. Marina Rodriguez, is her game is to use her Muay Thai to fucking punch your face in like she did on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, making her opponent verbally tap to strikes. Literally getting punched and kicked and kneed in the face so much, she she told the ref, no more, I quit. Like, I've never, I have, I've very, very rarely seen that ever in a fight. I mean, I've seen people quit after a round. They say, I don't have anything left after getting their ass beat like C.B. Dalloway did. But I've never seen someone quit in the middle of a round. Like, just look to the ref and just wave it off. Like, like uh, actually, I think I, uh, John McDessie did that. Uh, versus, uh, he got his he got his, his his jaw shattered with a kick against Cowboy Cerrone. And he looked at the referee and called timeout. And then the referee stopped the fight because he was so fucking out of it. So, Marina Rodriguez, I'm super hyped on her. Real, huge fan of Muay Thai. She's got some beautiful Muay Thai. She's, she's kind of lanky. She's got... Also had a little bit of ground game, I think, honestly. She took her opponent down with a really slick takedown and used a really uh, pressureful knee on belly to uh, hold her down. Um, you know, show, showed some, some weaker grappling uh, in, in her other fights, you know, uh, with uh, uh, some some women's names, some some uh, Will, Brazilian women's names, who I'm forgetting at this moment, Vieira and Gugambos or something like that. Um so uh, yeah, so I, I, her grappling is a little bit worrisome, but I think that her Muay Thai, her clinch, her elbows are, are going to keep Marcos off of her, and I think that she even has a chance at stopping Marcos with her strikes in this one. So uh, I'm on Marina Rodriguez as an underdog in this one. I got her a plus 110, very happy with it, considering the line is bouncing all over the place. And moving on to the 135-pound division, former champion Henan Burrell, who is 34 and 6, taking on Andre Ewell, who is 13 and 4. Uh, Andre, uh, Hannah Burrell my, opened minus 350 in this one. Andre Ewell opened plus 250. The Lions have shrunk massively on this one. Brow went from minus 350 to minus 130. So people are really trusting Ewell in this one, betting him down from plus 250 to plus 110. People are obviously just thinking that Brow is so shot. He is so 
past his prime. He's such a sh uh, shell of his former self, the champion that once was, that he even can't beat this this regional contender like Andre Ewell. Uh, man, it's it's very sad, man. It, it, it's a brutal sport, man. The guy was on top of the world, one of the top five pound-for-pound -pound best fighters in the world, and now he's almost an underdog to a guy who has, you know... Uh, his Andre Ewell, uh, his his fighter, a lot of his fights have come over guys with terrible records. Uh, one in eighteen. I'm reading off his opponent's records. His opponent was one in eighteen when he fought him in his in his uh, in his fucking uh, debut. He's from a promotion called Gladiator Challenge, which is a notorious promotion for padded records and just you know the, giving shitty matchups. Uh, 1 and 18, 0 and 0, 0 and 13, 1 and 11, 0 and 3, 0 and 12, uh, 0 and 1. You know, a lot of his wins have come over just complete bums. And he's also lost a couple of those fights. He's lost opponents against 4 and 0, 4 and 1, 4 and 1, 5 and 0. He's lost four fights in these terrible regional promotions. So there are huge red flags with this guy. His ground game is not good. Uh, I can't believe that that his that he's. People are actually betting him down to plus 110 in this one. I think Brow will still have enough uh, left in the tank despite his you know, career going down the drain in his past couple years. I think he still has enough uh, wits about him. He's looked decent enough in his past couple fights against Kelleher and Sterling. I think he'll still be able to take Ewell down and be able to get a submission uh, probably in the second or third round in this one. Um, next fight, we have Sam Alvey in the 205-pound division, who is 33-10, and 10, taking on Antonio Hogirio Noguera, who is 22-8. and 8. Uh, Sam Alvey opened up in this one at minus 300 to Noguera at plus 220. Uh, looking over at 5diamonds.u, we have um, Sam Alvey minus 335 to Noguera at plus 275. So people trusting Alvey even a little bit more, betting him down to plus 335. Noguera is coming off of a suspension and a TKO loss to Ryan Bader all the way back in 2016, while Sam Alvey is coming off a couple wins over a knockout win over Marcin Pracino and a decision win over John Vellante. So um, Val Alvey has looked a lot better in, in his uh, you know recent years. You know, obviously winning fights while uh, Noguera has been on suspension and uh, Noguera wasn't even looking that good before suspension. I think it's a recipe for disaster that uh, Noguera is even coming back. Uh, I really can't believe that he is coming back after the suspension. You know, this fight is in Brazil. Um, you know, I'm, I sh I'm sure he's getting paid good. He's a veteran of the sport, so he's probably just getting one more, one or two more paychecks before he is out of here. But I think Sam Malvey will get this one done, although not very confident. I do not trust him at minus 335. However, I do not trust Nogueira at plus 275 either. Um, Noguera's decision line at uh, plus 385 is the line to go at. Um, if if Noguera wins this fight, it is a low-volume decision uh, that is gifted to him in Brazil. And um, plus 385 are great odds for that. In the co-main event at the 170-pound division, we have Alex Cowboy Oliveira, who is 19-5, taking on Carlo Pedrozelli, who is 11-1. Um we had Alex Oliveira open up in this one at minus 245 to Carlo Pedrozoli at plus 175. And right now, Alex Oliveira has bet, been bet down from plus two or minus 245 all the way down to minus 430. Uh, is up to plus 345. So a lot of action coming in on Alex Oliveira. People trusting him pretty heavily in this one. I don't get it. 
I mean, I think Oliveira is the better fighter. I think he's more well-rounded, but he's you can't trust him at minus 430, dude. Like, he's too unreliable. He's a brawler. He's a crazy madman. He gets in crazy back-and-forth fights almost every time. The dude's the dude is 8-3-1 and one in the UFC. He's had 12 fights, and only two of them went to decision as 10 finishes. So, uh, man, he brings it every time. Carlo Pedrozoli, he's, he's a good kickboxer. Uh, I think that Alex Oliveira will probably take him down in this one and try to submit Pedrozoli. Um, you know, but it's going to be a brawl. Oliveira will never, he will never shoot right off the bat for a takedown. He wants to, he wants to throw punches. He wants to get a little bit crazy first. The dude, like I said, is a crazy motherfucker. Uh, I love, I love Oliveira. He's one, one of my favorite guys on the roster. He, he just brings it, man. I'm telling you, I love guys who bring it. There, there's not, he's not going in there to win a decision. He's not going in there to, to, to fight a safe fight over an opponent with a, a worse record than him. You know, uh, this fight is on short notice, a uh, change of opponents. He's not going to go in there and play it safe. He's going to go in there and go to fucking war, just like he did against Carlos Condit. He's going, oh, Carlos Condit, former, former interim champion, you know, former, uh, you know, number one contender for a long, long time. Oh, his opponent fell out. I'll jump in on three weeks' notice. He was an underdog in that fight, and he still fucking won. Um, he actually, eh, I don't know. He might have been a favorite. Who the hell knows? Let me, uh, let's check uh, best fight odds to check if he was. I feel like he opened up a uh, an underdog and closed a favorite. He opened up minus 160. Yeah, oh, no. He, so he was a favorite in that one, still. Um, that was a crazy, crazy fight. Um, I think Alex Oliveira will get the, get the job done on this one. But man, Pedrozelli, if he if his takedown defense is on point, and he finds a way to be calculated and not get into a brawl with Oliveira, I think that he has a good chance of winning this fight. Uh, you know, uh, outstriking Oliveira to a decision because Pedrozelli is a very technical, very good kickboxer. Um, you know, really impressed me with this fight against Brad Scott, uh, how composed and how accurate and how powerful he was. So um, this will be a good one. Really looking forward to it. I think this is probably the best matchup on the card. Um, and uh, that being said, we'll move on to the main event. Main event in the 205-pound division. Both of these gentlemen moving up in weight class from uh, 185. Eric Anders, who is 11-1, is taking on Thiago Santos, who is 18-6. Thiago Santos opened the favorite at minus 150. Eric Anders at plus 110, a slight underdog. Right now, Thiago Santos is minus 150. Eric Anders is um, plus 130. So a little bit of action coming in on... Uh, so actually... No, the same action coming in on Santos, his line hasn't changed, but Anders has gone up to a little bit bigger of an underdog. So uh, I imagine that more action is coming in on Santos. Um, you know, Anders is 3-1 and one in the UFC. He just came out, had a knockout off of Tim Williams in uh, a few weeks ago only. Both these gentlemen fought in August of this year, and they're turning around and fighting in September in the main event. Both of them are very game. Uh, you know, Thiago Santos' last win decision over Kevin Holland uh, was a you know pretty uh, pretty dominant performance from uh, Santos. Didn't really look in trouble in there. Uh, Santos is a UFC vet, ten and five. Uh, has been been killing shit. He's a great finisher. Uh, I, I think that Thiago Santos uh, is the better striker in this one. Uh, I think that Thiago Santos will uh, pro pose some problems for Anders on the feet, and I think that um, you know. Uh, I think that uh, Santos will end up uh, getting a TKO in uh, the second round. I'm going to go with in this one. I just don't think Anders is uh, is ready for a, a vicious puncher like uh, Santos in this point. You know, he fought uh, he's fought in some some lower level uh, middleweights like um, like Tim Williams and uh, let's see who else. 
um, Marcus Perez, uh, Rafael Natal, uh, and uh, he lost to Machida, a declining Machida too. So uh, while you know Santos has been fighting some pretty some pretty heavy uh, heavy uh, heavy hitters and beating them too. So um, I believe Santos is going to get this one done. But props to uh, Eric Anders for flying down to Brazil on six days' notice and jumping into this fight uh, up a weight class against you know a murderous finisher like. Uh, Diago Santos, dude's got fucking balls. So props, props to Anders. Uh, good, for, good on him for saving this card. And uh, like I said, it, you know, going through, it, it's it's not it's not an awful card. It's not unwatchable, but it, it is a little bit lacking. Like we said, injuries have plagued this one a, a good amount. And, um, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing that in, in the matchup. So um, not the highest level, uh, not, you know, the most thrilling card this week. But we're still, you know, like I said, looking forward to that, that co-main event. I think the main event will be good, too. I think Anders versus Santos is going to deliver. Uh, looking forward to seeing Hennon Brown maybe get a, a win uh, back under his belt. Honestly, I hope he retires if he gets a win. Looking forward to the debut of Marina Rodriguez. Um, a couple, uh, a couple of Brazilians should have great performances. You know, and huge mismatches like Hinato Souza, Zaleski dos Santos, and. Um, Charles Oliveira, so uh, I think we're in for a you know a, dec a decent night of fights. Uh, like I said, the props on this one uh, they they came through. Say, the money lines were super juiced. Didn't really like anything there, but uh, there were a couple good props. I, th I saw Hen and Brow submission plus two fifty. Sergio Marias. TKO plus three uh, three fifty, Jillian Robertson submission plus one ninety, and Talis Latis plus seven eighty five knockout. Also Nogueira decision at plus three eighty five. So those are my suggestions on the night. Uh, you got my picks on the night. You heard my recap of UFC Russia, and you heard my extensive breakdown of the John Jones Usada case. And uh, you know, in less than two hours, Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov will have, be having their first press conference. It'll be fucking great. It'll be the first uh, big promotion of the, the 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 super fight going down in two weeks a little over two weeks and uh like i said i will be doing one more episode after uh this sao paulo card recapping that and uh maybe talking about the the more john jones news and uh, the 230 main event and what what uh, will come of that and then we will be doing a, a, a specialized episode for ufc 229 um you know obviously the biggest card of the year and uh, really looking forward to that one. So um, hope you all enjoyed the episode. Uh, and uh, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being, thank you for tuning into the podcast. And I will catch you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>